Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome back to Pod on the Time, your dedicated Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. Uh, my name's Taylor Payne, welcome back to you all and we've got two lovely chaps with me. Chris Watts here. Chris, you alright? I'm not too bad, thank you, yes. I just wanted to mention something which I forgot to mention on the previous podcast that I am actually furious with uh, George Colkin because, I mean, I'm okay. always furious with him, but even more so at the moment because... <laughs> What wasn't mentioned was that when Alan from work and uh, Alexander Isak did their uh, interview last week, going through the goals, that George was George was present, and I was there basically as laptop lackey. So my laptop is the famous laptop which has gone round the world, I just see. as it was when yeah. Rafa Benitez had the little Lenovo a few years ago and we did that. But because Newcastle in the morning had the briefing with Darren Eels on the accounts, I had to do a lot of work before turning up, and so we'd said we'd be there at one o'clock, and I couldn't get there till ten past one. And George had picked up Shearer to take him. And now Alan Shearer thinks that I am the one who's late. George Culkin, Mr. Tardy, who's never on time for anything. And I got a bollocking from uh, Alan from work who asked me if I still thought I was on paternity leave. Well, there you go, Chris. I'm just furious. But George didn't even bother to turn up for this. We had to get Jacob in as a, as a, as a late late call-up okay. here. So, you know. Yeah, Jacob Whitehead's here instead of George. How are you doing, Jacob? You all right? I'm good. It's that old story, isn't it? Halfway through the season, desperately short of bodies in the middle and Taylor forced to turn to the transfer market to try and find someone as an emergency fill-in. Recall alone. Sounds familiar. That, that definitely does sound familiar. Yeah, George has, um, has been detained uh, by the women's team. Actually, no, I'm going to rephrase that. That doesn't sound quite right, does it? He hasn't physically been detained by the women's team he's not locked in a changing room somewhere he's he's waiting on an interview with the women's team so he couldn't make it on for us today but I'm sure he'll be back very soon I really hope that Amber's bullying him <laughs> tied him to the net and they're playing red arse booting penalties at him as he cowers in the goal <laughs> he's just furiously messaging with one hands can't make it lads can't make it Amber still gives you PTSD from our live show doesn't she <laughs> bless you <laughs> we've got a, a boxing ring booked for when I'm next back up yeah it's fair to say there's history there I'd eat war, kid. Uh, 
Uh, right, we've done a, a mailbag this week, and we've had lots and lots of people who've written in, tweeted in, emailed in. Thanks to everybody who sent in a question. There were an awful lot of questions. We won't get through all of them. If yours isn't read out, I am sorry. It's not personal. There was just so many, and there was quite a lot of duplication as well. So we'll get through as many as we can. Taylor, uh, I just, just want to jump in there. Speaking of personal, some of them were a little bit passive-aggressive. So I just wanted to, <laughs> in the way that, I don't know if it was deliberate or just the way that they were worded or the fact that suddenly they had block capitals of massive letters, but some of them were a little bit passive-aggressive. So It's most of the ones that were aimed at you, isn't it, Chris? Well, that well exactly. Yeah. I suppose it's just yeah. the way that George is with me. Maybe people think that's how you have to communicate with me, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Right then, let's get straight into these. Uh, Team affairs, let's start with that. Denise uh, has said, given the number of injuries and repeat injuries, should questions be asked about training, conditioning and medical care? Uh, Was the departure of the physio, Danny Murphy, uh, related to this, Chris? What do we think? Well, the the departure of the physio, Danny Murphy, in Newcastle's official statement just mentioned that he left after a period of extended paternity leave. So when you look at the injury situation in general, though, I mean, Newcastle have been conducting... I suppose you can call it an audit. They've been looking at every single element of the medical department of the club and trying to work out, as as has happened various times before in Newcastle's history, I mean, Graham Souness and, and other managers have moved Newcastle onto different training pitches at certain periods of time to see whether injuries can be prevented. Now, actually, the majority of Newcastle's injuries, certainly early on, came during matches rather than on the training field. So I don't think that there doesn't seem to be that much of concern that it's to do with that, that it's to do with the, the sort of uh, pitches themselves or anything like that. Uh, and some of them they see as being freak injuries as well. Uh, the fact that Dan Byrne injured his back, uh, landing on it, to the fact that uh, Jacob Murphy's shoulder popped out, Nick Pope's shoulder popped out. But there have been other injuries, and you're getting more muscular injuries now, which has been because a lot of players have had to go again, have had to play a lot of matches in a short period of time, you know, beyond what we call the red zone uh, within sport, really, of where really they, they should be resting. But there, there certainly is acknowledgement internally that Newcastle have to try and work out whether there is a reason why they are more injuries or certainly the re-injuries you've had Joe Willock who had a hamstring problem then got an Achilles injury and then has re-injured that Achilles Harvey Barnes has broken down previously with his his foot problem other players have, have had similar issues as well Joe Litton's had three thigh injuries I think now this season so yes it is something they're looking into but I think that's an ongoing thing and I wouldn't say that it's really an issue in terms of Newcastle have very very good medical department they have very they have a very good doctor they're very good physios and I, I am not in any way suggesting that they should be questioned at this period in time but but like at any club like Newcastle have done with other things like they've done with the Sandro Tonali situation they've actually reviewed recruitment in general whenever there's a focus on that area there's constant ongoing reviews and there is of Newcastle's medical department in general. I think some of the context of this, which is quite useful, is how actually last season Newcastle had a very good record. So last season, nine of Newcastle's outfield players appeared in over 2,500 league minutes. At no other Premier League club did as many players reach that total. And no other club in Europe's top five leagues managed to do that after. And it's interesting that some of the club's medical staff who are still here since the Ashley era were considered best in class even at that stage and is still at the club now. So it's been something which Newcastle have been pretty hot on for a while. And last season shows that this is hopefully, as Chris said, more more of the freak injuries. 
that's an incredible start. That. Um, Denise uh, continues, we are told that part of the reason for poor form has been lack of time on the training pitch, but what happens next time we qualify for Europe or have a lot of midweek games? Will the same slump happen? Does Howe's preferred coaching style mean we can never compete in multiple competitions, Chris? It's an interesting point. I think what, what Jacob as well was uh, implying there as well, it's been a bit of a perfect storm this year, hasn't it, with games and freak injuries and all of the rest of it? It has been, but this is the question which I think has justly been asked th- this season. And uh, George, I think, referenced it on the, on the on the last podcast. Can Newcastle, who are all under Eddie Howe, all about high intensity, high pressing, making sure you're fitter than the opposition, that you outrun them, is that sustainable when you have European football as well? Yeah. On the evidence of this season, there has to be question marks over that because there have been a greater volume of injuries, so that has probably contributed to, to, to the answer to the previous question, which I didn't necessarily mention there. Newcastle have had a greater number of games. They haven't had a weak spell between matches when they can train or rest and, and, and get ready for, for the following week. So going forward, th- th- this season was was new for the vast majority of Newcastle's squad, and it was new for Eddie Howe and his coaching staff. They hadn't managed in European competition before, never mind the Champions League. So it's something they have to learn and develop. We know that when Eddie Howe has a week between matches, that there are a few coaches, probably in the world, certainly in the Premier League, who are better at extracting maximum from his players. But when Newcastle have to play three times a week, there were periods between sort of September and November where they were excellent and they went on a huge, really, really good run. But at the start of the season and then throughout December, they've obviously fallen off a cliff almost in, in terms of their performances and can they sustain that over a season when rather than having 45 matches they could have the best part of 60. For now that remains a question mark going forward but someone like Eddie Howe will not rest on his laurels he will be trying to work out what he can do differently how they can progress going forward. He would also argue that Newcastle have changed their style a little bit they haven't been quite as intense they've tried to hold on the ball a bit more again that hasn't necessarily worked and so it, it's still a question which I can't really give a definitive answer to because Eddie Howe needs to try and work that out going forward but I wouldn't definitively rule out that under Eddie Howe's management in Newcastle will not be able to go back into European competition and do well. I think that this has been a learning experience for everyone and once the depth of the squad gets stronger going forward, I think Newcastle will be better placed for that in the future. Okay, so uh, moving on, we've got Dave who has asked... With Newcastle so desperate for midfield reinforcements and no cash and no one prepared to do us a favour, why are we not considering Isaac Hayden for the rest of the season? Chris, I'll come back to you on this. Uh, Jacob, I'll come to you in a moment. Uh, But Chris, Isaac Hayden, are Newcastle likely to turn to him? I think that at this stage, what's looking most likely for Isaac Hayden is that he will go out on loan somewhere else. There's a story on the Athletic carrying quotes that that Hayden gave to a a Belgian journalist about his time in Standard Liège and uh, the the ownership there, the Triple Seven ownership, who are trying to invest into into Everton at this stage, and so that's why that loan had to be cut short. He didn't feel it was it was the right place for him. But it is curious when you look at that situation. You also see Jeff Hendrick. He is still a Newcastle United player. If you, if you've forgotten, he is also Good out heavens. on loan. Yeah, Jeff Hendrick's still there. But why, given they only have three senior fit midfielders, one of whom is a 17 year old in Lewis Miley, who's done very well, but is playing far more than really should at that age and in his stage of his development. Sean Longstaff, who's still come back from injuries himself and probably isn't 100% fit yet. And Bruno Gimaraes, who, although he had that slight hamstring problem I'm told that that's that's fine he isn't he, 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 that hasn't there hasn't been any lingering issues there he should be fine for Fulham next week but he at some stage almost certainly is going to miss two matches because he's going to get uh, a 10th booking of the season so Newcastle are very low in that department you look at it and think well why wouldn't you consider Isaac Hayden but Howe made a decision on Hayden clearly that he, he felt that Newcastle had moved beyond that and that he was going to look to 
play in a slightly different way, have a different player as the sort of number six, the deep-lying player in midfield. What Isaac Hayden does is basically he, he's a sort of old-school defensive midfielder. He he will win the ball and then just give it on yeah. to someone. Bruno Gimraes is, is, is quite different. He's very multi-skilled, multifaceted in what he can do on the ball. And, and for whatever reason, Newcastle aren't necessarily... I think very, right at this period in time, whether things change in the course of next week or so, if the injury crisis was to worsen, hopefully not, that, that may change. But instead, what Newcastle have done is they've recalled Joe White, which is a risk of its own accord. He's been on loan at Crew Alexandra in League Two, done relatively well there, but the step up to the Premier League will be huge. But he's been recalled as, as a body more than anything else, to, to see, whereas for now, they look to see if they can do anything in the market. But yeah, I think it's highly unlikely that Isaac Hayden will stay and play and instead it looks like he's going to go out on loan and of course someone we haven't mentioned is Joe Linton and you're saying the injury crisis deepened and it, it deepened this week didn't it uh, in between our last podcast and this one and we haven't spoken about Joe Linton yet looking like he's going to be out for the rest of the season Chris yeah so Joe Linton's got an issue with a tendon in his groin so he's had a he's had a couple of thigh issues already this season as, as I mentioned he did this against Sunderland trying to, I think it was trying to play a crossfield ball and initially, Newcastle hoped that it would just be a couple of weeks. So then the assessment was when Eddie Howe was asked last Friday, he said at least six weeks, but they were still getting further assessments at that stage. Now, I wrote on Tuesday how the fear was that he was going to be out for the rest of the season. I think the acceptance now within Newcastle United is that Joe Linton is going to be out for the rest of the season, almost certainly going to have to have an operation. And that sort of focuses mind as to can they actually do th- something in the market now? Because he's a huge miss, not only oh, such a because shame. Newcastle don't have... Yeah, well, I mean, if you just take the, the bare fact that Newcastle only have three senior midfielders, as I said... They also don't have another Joe Linton. Yeah. As good as Lewis Miley has been, as good as Sean Longstaff has been, they're quite similar in the traits that they bring to the side. And I think Newcastle have been affected to a certain degree by that when you've got those two and Bruno Gimaraes. The balance probably isn't quite as right as if you had Joe Willock fit, if you had Joe Linton in there, if you had the ability, obviously, Sandro Tonali to rotate and move things around. So Newcastle don't have a Joe Linton. They don't have someone else who's going to win the ball back really get into duels, have that physicality in midfield, also have the ability to, to play wide left if necessary. And that's a huge, huge blow. And I think that, that of all the injuries I've had over the last few weeks, probably since Nick Pope, this is the most damaging of them because he's going to be an absolutely massive miss between now and the end of the season. I think just to underline the problem of this, last summer when Newcastle were recruiting midfield, they were prizing traits such as physicality, pace, power. With Willock out, with Gillington out, with Tonali receiving his ban, the three players in midfield who most fit that description, arguably, are all now out for long spells. When that was a something which already was seen as wanting to be improved upon by the club, it kind of shows why probably crisis is the right word when talking about these injuries. Yeah. And Dave's also continued as well with this, Jacob. Let us know what you think about this. Um, Dave said, I would be interested to know your thoughts on using Fabian Scher at number six. He's played this position for the Swiss team. Uh, we have options at centre-half to cover him. It's worth a go, surely. Uh, oh, sorry, that's not from Dave. That's from Johnny. Thanks from Johnny. Uh, that's a, a, a separate question. So Fabian Scher at number six. Maybe he's, I don't know, maybe he doesn't have the positional discipline to be able to sit in that in that role. It's a good question. He's obviously got a very good passing range, defensively solid. I think the issue is maybe in build-up play. So if you think about the tempo which Bruno Gimaraes sets there and how that is crucial to Newcastle's ball progression, comparing it to the Swiss teams, slightly different. Switzerland have always generally liked to progress play 
down the flanks through players who've had theirs, such as Stefan Licksteiner, Ricardo Rodriguez. That's how they progressed the ball. So they haven't really needed the six to be reliant for that kind of tempo setting. They more need them to be a bit of a destroyer at the back. And yeah. you can't really get away with that in the Premier League if you're going to have a midfielder who almost isn't there as a tempo setting the ball. I know people will probably listen and say, oh, Fabian shares a brilliant passer. He is for long raking balls, but sort of being able to dictate an attack and the pace of it and direction of it is a very different skill. Yeah, it's a different game, isn't it? Despite having been nominally the Athletic Switzerland correspondent in, in, for the 2022 World Cup, I can't give quite as detailed a tactical breakdown on how Switzerland plays. Jacob can. <laughs> what I can say from a Newcastle United point of view regarding Fabian Cher is that when Jamal Lascelles was being primed to come on last weekend, that I'm led to believe that Fabian Cher may have actually moved into midfield. Wow. Okay. And so it is something, I think, that Newcastle are considering as a short-term solution, if necessary, if Bruno Gimaraes can't play for whatever reason. It's not something that certainly they want to do much, A, because Cher's done so well in both centre-back positions this season, whether it's been his right-side centre-back alongside Sven Botman or when he's moved over to the left-hand side alongside Jamal Lascelles. But... Because Newcastle have so few senior bodies and he has played there for Switzerland and I think he also played there a few times for Basel and maybe a couple of other clubs, it is something that that is there as a backup option. But given what Jacob has just underlined about Newcastle needing physicality and the ability to get around the pitch, that's not really Fabian Scher's game. What he is is very good on the ball. But if you're looking for someone to get into that midfield to give you a bit greater legs maybe than Bruno Gimaraes or someone else in there, that's not Fabian Scher's game. And so that's where Newcastle are limited and really look at it and think they need to try and do something in the market if they can and we will get under that a bit more later on as to whether they can do that or not but yeah I wouldn't rule out seeing Fabian share in that position on occasion in the coming weeks but it's not something Newcastle want to do it just might be an emergency option Okay cool Uh, let's move on another uh, message in here from Zand Newcastle have a few players out on loan who would be very useful to have back right about now. Apparently, Yakuba Minter can't be recalled, but I was wondering about Garan Kual. It seems like neither of his loans have gone particularly well. Would be best served by being back in the tune. What's the likelihood of Kual being brought back in this window? Jacob, Garan Kual, do we know much about him? Has he done anything? In He's been in Scotland, hasn't he? He was in Scotland last season. He's been at FC yeah. Volendam in the yes. Netherlands this season. It's been another quite unlucky one. In both occasions, you understand why he's been sent to that club. They're teams which did have a reputation of playing young players, of having systems which suited Coyle's attributes. Problem is, in both cases, the manager lost their job pretty early on. Volendam were in a situation a couple of months ago where they neither had a head coach or director of football. And so they're sort of effectively inmates running the asylum. Uh, The attitude at a lot of Premier League clubs now is that no loan is a bad loan. Be learning stuff. It was always seen as an 18-month project at a minimum. Uh, between Kuo signing uh, last January and actually playing any sort of role in the Newcastle squads. Obviously, it's not been ideal, especially when you set it against how well Minter has been playing at Feyenoord and also, despite the loss, played quite well in Gambia's first game at AFCON. But um, yeah, much, much tougher for Kuo. I just want to say that if George had been present, he obviously would have been able to give this encyclopedic knowledge of 
both the Dutch league that Jacob has given there for Kual and also how Switzerland play tactically. So exactly what I was thinking as well, Chris. Yeah, yeah. very good, very good point. That uh, <laughs> here's another one. Uh, this is ever so slightly passive aggressive, Chris, and it's aimed at you. Um, in the briefing article on Saturday, Chris Woff was asked, "When will Howe have his players back?" Uh, not a single word of his answer. Then actually answered the question about when players will return. Please, can we have some names and dates? Thanks, Simon. Well, two seconds. I'm just first of all, I'm going to get up Premier injuries just so I can go through every single player so that be, before he gets annoyed. But second of all, I just want to explain that the way that these briefing articles also work is sometimes I actually write an answer and then a question is added on afterwards, and I didn't know the question was going to be that uh, here question. He goes. So here he goes that, with that's my defence. Right, right, let's go through premierinjuries.com here to just go through them all. Well, Sandwich and Ollie obviously isn't injured. He's suspended. He's back. I think it's August the 27th. Certainly August he's allowed back. Nick Pope, shoulder was dislocated. He's had shoulder surgery. He is due back. I think it's towards the end of March, start of April, if things go really well. But we'll have to wait and see on that front. Joel Linton, as we've said, out for basically the rest of the season. Joe Willick has had a very complicated injuries. He's had, as I said before, hamstring, then Achilles, then he's re-injured the Achilles he should be back sometime in February, but also Newcastle are being cautious because they don't want him to break down once again. So yeah, they're being very delicate on, on that front. Elliot Anderson, he's had back issues. Um, and he had an initial scan a couple of months ago and it really hadn't healed that well. He was resting up and so that was a bit of a frustration. I believe he's had another scan this week and there's more positive news, but I think still another six weeks or so on him. So probably end of February, start of March for him. Harvey Barnes, I realise there's a big list, but Newcastle have a lot of injuries. Harvey Barnes, foot injury, again, someone else who had a setback. Newcastle opted not to have surgery on, on, on his foot. It was rested, but he had a bit of a breakdown when he tried to the, tried to get him back up to sort of full training. He shouldn't be too far away, but it's very same with Willock. Newcastle are being cautious. They don't want to lose him again. Yeah. Matt Target, mid-end of February, I think, 16 weeks, I think, was the initial once he had the surgery on his thigh so that shouldn't be too long Jacob Murphy is back doing some training not full training yet but I think Jacob Murphy will be in the course of the next couple of weeks Callum Wilson possibly not form but should be in the round for Aston Villa when they come back Livermento was illness Javier Manquillo as we're going to come on to as I've written today he's been out for basically most of the season with various groin problems and other issues he is actually back training but he looks like he's going to join Tel Aviv and rejoin Rafa Benitez who is there as their manager it looks like he's going out the door and that's all we've got time for uh, on Pod on the Tie this week. Thank you for joining us after that mammoth list. This is the issue with this, though, isn't it? You, you can say player X is due back on this date, but then there's always a likelihood of something going wrong or the injury getting exacerbated and and that date being punted down the line a little bit. And we've seen this with Harvey Barnes, haven't we? Because we were told he could be back early in January and now we're not sure when that's going to be. It just seems to be the case this season. It keeps rolling and keeps rolling. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Here's another question. This one's from Michael. Where do you see Eddie Howe's end goal? Do you think we can win a Premier League title with him? And how will we have to adapt from using intensity as our main weapon? Thanks, Michael. Jacob, Eddie Howe, uh, do you think he's the man who can lead Newcastle to silverware? I'm going to have to be very careful answering this because of the number of times that Michael's used the word we in his question. <laughs> trip yourself up. So I do feel like you've thrown this to me as a form of elaborate bear trap. Yeah. I, I think that Michael's really right to use the word adapt in it because Liverpool shows an example that I think Howell's time at Newcastle is probably most comparable to early Klopp at Liverpool in terms of style of play, in terms of kind of there are differences, but in terms of what he was trying to implement in terms of changing a culture as well. And they've obviously gone through a massive evolution. There's only so long that you can sustain that intensity while adding players to the squad where there will invariably be missteps as much as Newcastle have done well to avoid them so far as number of games improve. Lots of it's just kind of improving the multifacetedness of a side, having alternative options. How is ultimately a pragmatist rather than being somebody like, for example, Antonio Conte, who was only wedded to one style of playing. But I think the challenge Newcastle have faced is actually finding a reliable plan B, which can be close to the level of plan A. As the squad increases, as there's more time on the training pitch, which has been a challenge this year, that will start to get added to. But I think rather than saying there needs to be an entirely new way to play or anything like that, they need to retain the intensity while also having options through which they can win games when the levels won't quite be as high as would be ideal. I I would just like to jump in on this as well and say... Although I understand exactly where Michael's question is coming from in the sense that Amanda Staveley, when Newcastle took over, said that within five to ten years, Newcastle would like to win the Premier League. I said at the time I thought that was extremely ambitious and I maintain that regardless of who would be Newcastle United head coach or manager or whatever position, given the world that we are in with FFP or PRS as as it's called now, profitability and sustainability rules, Newcastle are going to struggle to really bridge that gap in the short term. And so, say if Eddie Howe's manager for the next four or five years, is it realistic that he should be lifting the Premier League title in that period of time? I think it's unlikely that anyone would. So, I I don't know how to necessarily answer the question in terms of what I see as Eddie Howe's end goal. I do think he is exactly the manager Newcastle need right now, the head coach that they need right now. He has built the club from where it was. He's built this team from where it was. I would struggle to see how another manager would come in and extract more out of the players than Eddie Howe managed to get last season. You can argue he hasn't got as much this year, but I think there's been a heck of a lot of mitigation. And I do think that he deserves a decent period of time to try and prove that he can get more out of the current group that he's got, but also when he adds a little bit more to it in the summer, is more likely whether they can do anything now is different. And I, I do think he can develop further and he can grow with the club. He's still only in his mid-40s. He is, in my opinion, one of the best coaches in the Premier League. And I think it would be folly for Newcastle to end that prematurely when I'm not sure who is going to come in and do more with the current crop of players. Right then, chaps, we had umpteen questions about transfers and the transfer window. Question here from Paul. Uh, Chris, I'll point this in your direction. I was walking through town the other day and I saw a Lamborghini brazenly parked 
on double yellows. Is that George? <laughs> it was George's Lambo, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, it made me wonder, is there any possibility that the NUFC owners might just say, fuck it, and spend $800 million this summer? Yes, we'll get a 10-point penalty, but that doesn't matter if you've just won the league by 11 points. <laughs> I can see the logic. I-, I think that they might get slightly more than 10-point penalty because Everton's was, it was so. in relation to the fact that the thing was £20 million overspend or whatever, so you need to times that by... 400 or whatever it would be there 40 sorry <laughs> or whatever it would be there to get that so no I, the Everton verdict actually has really focused minds across the Premier League and I know it did inside Newcastle they've always wanted to be compliant as Darren Eels the CEO said last week but I think there was throughout the league maybe a little bit, bit of complacency and thought that you know if people breach this just slightly then we might get away with it but for Everton to have got as harsh a punishment as they did the fear going forward is that uh, other clubs would have similar, and for Newcastle, that would be extremely damaging. So I think that the that I think that that is highly, highly unlikely. Certainly, the people who run the club domestically, Darren Eels, the CEO, Dan Ashworth, the, the the sporting director, and Eddie Howe are not planning on those terms. So I think that is highly unlikely. Although I do see the temptation as to why Paul would suggest that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so as we know as well, both Everton and Nottingham Forest are in trouble with the Premier League at the moment uh, concerning profit and sustainability rules. Uh, in Forest's case, uh, it's because they delayed the transfer of Brennan Johnson, ironically, to get more money in. Uh, here's a clip of Adam Crafton and first Matt Slater from the Athletic Football Podcast earlier this week. With this timing issue, this Brennan Johnson issue, I think the Forest do have a reasonable point to make. But again, I want to stress, and I've heard it again on the radio this morning as I was making my breakfast, this idea that these are alleged charges, right? Or that they're... No, that's not quite how this system works. It really is an adding up exercise. Forrest and Everton have accepted their breaches. They've handed their submission in and go, yeah, we're over. There is no allegation. What we have now is a conversation around mitigation, right? So, Your Honour, we're over your limit. Of course we are. Here's our numbers. Everyone could see it. However, this is why we're over. We did actually do a whole podcast on it. Everton made choices about how they tackled the issue of funding a stadium. The Premier League does not punish clubs for building stadiums. You capitalise stadium costs. Everton did it in a slightly unusual way. Some of it bad luck to do with they thought they were going to get this wonderful naming rights deal from Farhad Mashiri's business partner, Alicia Usmanov. Some of it was because their accounts were such a mess, they were they were so like poorly run that they couldn't borrow from the market early. But a lot of it is self-inflicted as well. So Everton is a complicated picture. Forest is a much simpler picture. And there will be this argument around mitigation on the Brennan Johnson thing. And I think, you know, what are we trying to do here? What's the Premier League trying to do for its clubs? If this is about sustainability, surely we should be encouraging clubs to get as much money for their their assets when they sell them and not worrying too much about what might be an arbitrary deadline. The problem, of course, there is, well, hold on a minute. We have to have a deadline. Otherwise, everyone's doing their own thing. There has to be, you know, a rule. All these rules were voted in. That's your mitigation debate. We've gone for a system where we are trying to tie spending on the pitch with how much money you're bringing through the door. So that that as a concept is not that hard to address. And it's a challenge for all clubs to stay on top of it. It depends how far you want to go back, really, with Everton. You know, Everton were, for many years, you know, if you go back to the time where David Moyes was there, they were the club that would kind of be the, the Premier League's dream club, right? They were being run pretty sustainably. They'd buy players cheap. They'd sell reasonably well. And then obviously you have the Farhad Mashiri reign, which has been 
completely shambolic. This is where you get to the whole question about the fit and the proper owner. What what safeguards do you have from somebody who appears to have the money to buy a club, but then comes in and has you know a pretty awful strategy, which involves spending a load of money and, and running a club pretty unsustainably. We're pulling at all different strings here because there's so many different ways you can weave at this conversation. But what you're starting to see is almost this backlash now completely against FFP as though it's all kind of one big conspiracy to forever and ever and ever lock in the same clubs. Now, we can have a conversation about that. But if we're going to have that conversation, we also have to remember why financial fair play has been necessary. That is because football clubs couldn't really be trusted to run themselves sustainably. Clubs were were at risk of going out of business. Even with these rules in place, Everton are in an incredibly fragile situation. So these clubs do need protecting from themselves at certain times. And the best way to do that is probably the bit that's contested. What you're seeing at the moment is you'll have clubs like Everton and Forest now kind of saying these rules aren't fit for purpose, perhaps, or the rules need to be changed. I don't expect these rules to be really significantly changed in terms of getting a majority in the league. And probably the big reason for that is everyone knows that Newcastle are there, Mm. right? So if you relax these rules too much, then Newcastle have this huge, huge access to money. And I think a lot of the people that make the rules, i.e. the Premier League clubs, will be very wary of that. So that's where the conversation starts to come again into, is this protectionist? Or is this trying to protect? Um, And by protect there, I mean kind of safeguard. Is it about protecting the status of big clubs or is it about safeguarding clubs such as Everton from themselves? And I suppose that kind of gets at the heart of the debate. Very interesting, that conversation. Go and check it out on the Athletic Football podcast published on January 16th. But please ignore the episode that involves Chris Woff uh, because we don't recognise that as a as a podcast episode. Well, I actually left this podcast to go and do that, didn't I? disgraceful behaviour. I still haven't forgiven you for that. Just walking away. You know, moving on to bigger and better things. Leaving us in the lurch. Uh, before we get back on to profit and sustainability, Jacob, Adam Crafton broke another story this week, didn't he? Would you like to give us a little bit of a, a bit of info from that? Yes, of course. So it centres around Yasser Aramayan, the chairman, not only of Newcastle, but Live Golf. He faces being sued for allegedly having carried out the instructions of the Saudi Arabian Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. These claims present renewed questions for the Premier League because they only approved the takeover of Newcastle by PIF after receiving what the league described as legally binding assurances that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia would not control the club. So Adam's full story is out on The Athletic and I also did an explainer afterwards just kind of explaining why this is a potential issue because, I mean, it happened over two years ago, now the takeover, everyone followed it extremely closely, but it is a complex issue, an emotional issue, and kind of deserves some quite slow unpicking. Yeah, like like most legal proceedings, it's it's unlikely to move on for a while, is it? And it's very unlikely to materially affect the PIF ownership of Newcastle. Uh, the Live Golf case was a lot more clear-cut in terms of implications, Jake, wasn't it? Yeah, so just to give a potted summary of a Live Golf case was in a court deposition to do with Live Golf where as a defence to so that Yasser Aramain could avoid giving evidence, his legal representatives described him as a sitting minister of the Saudi government. 
that raised questions over the legally binding assurances because they're like, if he's a sitting member of the Saudi government, then how could there be separation between PIF and the Saudi state? One important thing to clarify is, well, I suppose part one, the legally binding assurances has always been very vague in the sense that the Premier League and Newcastle, obviously, as um, an extension of that, have always been very reluctant to comment on the exact nature of what those assurances were. But it's kind of understood to be not so much that PIF and the Saudi state are inherently separate. It's the sovereign wealth fund of that. It's to do with the fact that the Saudi state won't have control over the club. And that's kind of why we see Newcastle being run in the way it is. We don't have any Saudi representation at the Premier League meetings. It's effectively trying to make sure that the club isn't being run from Riyadh rather than it's ultimately owned by Riyadh, if that makes sense. So that was why the Live Golf case was much more clear-cut than Adams, which is more to do with linking Mohammed bin Salman with Yasser Aramayan, who, in my profile, I did a few months back. It's fair to describe him as MBS's right-hand man, especially in any dealings with the West. Obviously, a complicated issue, very interesting from a legal perspective, but while it probably adds to a body of evidence around the exact nature of Newcastle's ownership, as Taylor said, is unlikely to materially affect PIF ownership. The Premier League's last update delivered by Richard Masters was that he could not even comment on whether there was any re-investigation into uh, the nature of Newcastle's ownership and the uh, assurances he'd received. Sorry, that went on for a while. That was almost a waff explainer in length. <laughs> no, that's good. It was. I just want to jump in as well and say that I know that Adam has received a lot of replies from Newcastle United fans or other people on social media relating to this and relating to other stories he's written previously. A lot of them are directed suggesting that, that, that Adam has an agenda. I don't believe that Adam does have an agenda. He is carrying out some very important journalism. And I, I think that people just need to accept, and I know that people find it frustrating, but they need to accept that while Newcastle United have this ownership, these questions will continue to be raised and these stories are legitimate stories and he wasn't writing it because he was picking on Newcastle United. He was writing it because this court case is ongoing in Canada, that the Live Golf one is ongoing or was ongoing in the US, which is where that emerged from. And so questions will continue to be asked of the ownership. And I think that people just have to accept that and, and, and just realise that in this world that, that we live now, unfortunately, as much as people may want to say they want football and politics to be separate, they're very much are not in a lot of ways and certainly not where Newcastle's ownership is concerned. So yes, uh, please do not. I'm not saying that the listeners to this have directed any of those messages at Adam, but Adam has not gone at this with an agenda. He has written a legitimate story. Adam does also actually have an excellent Twitter thread where he outlines the when people say, what about Manchester United and potential Qatari ownership? What about Manchester City and the UAE? Where he has threaded all of the articles on each of those topics, um, which he can reply with instantly to, to these sorts of, is there an agenda question? So I'd employ you to seek it out, it, not just for kind of any assurances that Newcastle are being targeted, but also just because there's some really, really interesting stuff there. Absolutely, yes. Uh, make sure you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and pay just one ninety nine a month for your first 12 months. Hey. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. right than chops uh, let's get back to the transfer budget then uh, and John Gandhi is part of a growing conspiracy group who thinks that Darren Eels is playing 4D chess John said is some of the conjecture around PSR slash FFP from Eels and how recently a smoke screen we're meant to be planning multiple transfer windows in advance for recruitment surely the January window would have been identified as an opportunity if the squad is in crisis Chris it's an interesting point is Darren Eels playing 4D chess is he keeping his cards close to his chest and all those other things uh, there's always that possibility and I got a reply from a lot of supporters uh well, I've had replies to tweets over the last few days suggesting exactly that, that basically you have to parrot these lines that the club gives you. But, you know, and I understand why, because in previous transfer windows, we've spoken about FFP and Newcastle's restrictions, and then they've gone and blown it out of the water by spending a heck of a lot of money. But at some stage, that will come home to roost, and Newcastle are in that situation now. And I've already mentioned the Everton situation. I think that's focused minds even more closely for this January. Newcastle prefer not to do business in January, or not substantial business in January. The first January was there was extenuating circumstances. They needed to stay in the Premier League. That was the first opportunity they had to increase the squad. That's why they did a lot of business then. Last January, they only signed Anthony Gordon, and that was a sort of late decision. And that was bringing forward business they were going to do in the summer. They had gone into that window not intending to do anything. They went into this window not intending to do anything unless they really had to or unless they could bring unless they could bring something forward. They're now in the situation where they may have to do something, but they prefer not to because financially they are very close to the limit. That in this summer things will change because they will have money from the Champions League from this season that goes in the accounts for next year they will also have the the seller deal goes in the accounts for this year then the following year they have the Adidas money goes in which starts this summer but won't be in for the following year's account so 
Newcastle have a very difficult situation financially. I don't think this is a game of 4D chess. They may end up doing something and they may end up signing someone on a loan with an obligation to buy, which makes me and every other journalist up here look like a little bit of an idiot. But it also shows that that money has been delayed until the summer. It'll almost be like a Lewis Hall-style deal. If Newcastle were going to do business this, this month and didn't care about the consequences for uh, PSR and FFP, they would have gone and signed someone before now. The manager is desperate for reinforcements because Newcastle are so down to the bare bones, but instead they're trying to work out can they do anything in the financial situation they're in without negatively affecting themselves, both in terms of going over the PSR limit for this season so that they would get a potential points deduction or fine or transfer ban or whatever it may be, but also so that they don't hamstring themselves for the summer by spending a lot of money now, which they want to spend then and turn out to be on the wrong player just for a short-term signing. It's a very complicated situation, but I don't think it's quite 4D chess in the way that John suggests. The only element of chess, and this is probably a very simple Karakhan defence rather than any sort of really complex Magnus Carlsen kind of stuff. You've lost me there. I'm sorry. I'm gone. Okay, well, that's a fun one for any of the chess nerds. uh, (laughs) If you want me, I'm on chess.com, guys. (laughs) There's an element to which it does make sense for Newcastle to talk about being close to it, not only from a long-term sense of these Premier League meetings and wanting to put their views forward, but also just in terms of pure negotiations. They don't have that much space, but the club believe that there is an element of a Newcastle tax upon them. They're getting charged more just by creating... It's not. I'm not going to say illusion because it's not an illusion, but by reminding people that they are close, it ensures that they aren't treated as this boundless source of wealth. It means that they have a stronger hand in any negotiations because they want anybody they're speaking to to believe that they are willing to walk away from the table because there's certain deals they cannot do. It puts them in the short term in a far stronger position around the negotiating table to make this position very public. And Chris, there are some rumours and deals and, all, and potential negotiations bubbling away in the background. Calvin Phillips has always been there for the for the long term, and he's uh, now also linked with Palace as well as Barcelona and Atletico Madrid. Is this possibly designed to maybe stimulate some activity and try and get things moving? I think possibly. I mean, Newcastle do have an active interest in Calvin Phillips, or have had an active interest in him. We said the other day about how it looks like at the minute that deal is going to be too expensive. Now, that would be a deal where you have to remember Calvin Phillips has barely played football for two seasons. So it would also be a risk bringing him in. Eddie Howe likes him as a player, and if you could get him up to full speed and to what he was previously, then he would be potentially a very good player for Newcastle. But can they do that in the in the short space of time for him to come in to make the impact they would need right now? The feeling at the moment is for the cost that it would 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 be taken in terms of an outlay for right now for the loan fee they don't necessarily want to do that if that loan fee was to come down they may look to do it but will there be if it's just a straight loan till now and the end of the season is that something they want to do in terms of a short-term solution maybe will there be an option or obligation to buy the suggestion is not necessarily but Newcastle if they can don't want to spend money this month whether that's on a loan fee or whatever it would be. And if they are going to do anything, they would prefer to have the the cost to come into the next financial year, so after June the 30th. So something like Lewis Hall, whether that's an obligation or an option to buy in a a deal, it would probably have to be an obligation because otherwise they would probably have to pay a loan fee. But that would go into this year's PSR figures, which would affect them negatively. So in that sense, it's still ongoing, the Phillips deal, that, that Newcastle may end up getting him. But right now, given the terms that are there, it's not something I see happening. It would need That would need to come down for Newcastle to pursue that deal further. And Steve Nixon's been over to Italy as well, hasn't he, to watch another Brazilian? 
yes, he's been over to watch Edison, uh, who's at Atlanta, and he is a player Newcastle are aware of. There is supposedly, and having watched a few clips of him, he seems to have a relatively similar profile to Joel Linton. I don't think there's an exact match to Joel Linton anywhere in the world, really, but there's a relatively similar profile. Imagine that. Imagine two Joel Lintons, Chris. Yeah, well, uh, quite. Premier League trembling in fear. Yes, or would and be, then his uh, groin goes, and he has to I'm, have four I'm not sure. Off. I'm sure they'd have to bring in a. There'd be an emergency Premier League meeting to bring in a vote that you can't have two <laughs> players of that ilk on the pitch at the same time. Absolutely, yeah. for safety reasons. All right, tin foil boys. <laughs> <laughs> but the the so yeah, Nixon has been out to to see Edison. He is a player he's very aware of. I think that's more than Newcastle's recruitment department. one of the players that they are looking at in terms of someone they keep an eye on. I think that's unlikely this month. I'm not ruling it out entirely. But the, the player pool of who Newcastle can actually sign if they want someone on a loan with an obligation to buy is pretty small. Who is going to do a deal with them? Who's going to do a deal domestically in the Premier League? Eddie Howe spoke about having no friends last week in the market. And I think that was partly due to loan deals, but it's also due with that. Do clubs want to to move a deal around to benefit Newcastle and lose a player right now? Most clubs don't want to lose players mid-season. So I think that Newcastle are trying and looking to do things, but everything is very, very difficult to conclude right now. There's going to be a fraught couple of weeks ahead as to whether Newcastle can indeed conclude anything. Because you have to think, remember, if they are going to do anything, they also need to be better than the players that they have. They have three midfielders available. Yes, they don't have anyone in reserve, but they don't want to bring in a player to just sit on the bench and have a wait, potentially use some money they want to use in the summer. They need to bring in someone of quality. And so the player pool is very, very small in that regard. Chris, please don't use the term Eddie Howe has no friends again. That makes me feel really sad when you say that. <laughs> I just, it's just horrible. To be fair, Eddie, Eddie Howe has been asked in press conferences or whichever Premier League managers do you get on with and has made a point of saying, none of them, I don't want to socialise with them. <laughs> is, is Dogs his Good friend? Lord. His little boxer Dogs his friend. Oh, well, fair enough. Uh, right then, Chris in Belfast has said, one narrative I can't stand is we have to get top four or Bruno, Isaac, Botman, Tenali, etc. will leave. Has there ever been a whiff of a suggestion that this would actually be the case or is it just fans catastrophizing? Sorry, I've... Did I pronounce that right there? Yeah, yeah, it is good. You did well. Go on, I was, I got when, that you, wrong, when you went, sorry. when you started to go into it, I was worried. I was worried how is this going to come out, but you got it absolutely bang on. I read it like a word I'd never ever seen before, ever in the history of words. You're now catastrophizing the catastrophizer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yes, our fans just catastrophizing, uh, Jacob. It's natural that it's being framed as catastrophizing, but obviously it's happening for the reason of advancing the club. If any of these players were to be sold, it's for reinvestment it's not like they disappear and that money goes with it it's with the long-term aim of improving the club obviously just kind of from an emotional point of view when there's a player who's helped bring Newcastle back to relevance like some of these players really have it's natural that you really aren't going to want them to go but it's something which Dan Ashworth has spoken about before about the need to eventually trade I think it's something which you never want to sell your players right at the very, very top of your squad unless you think that they're about to go on a downward plane. But it's something which they will have to consider, especially given all of the FFP chat and what the best use of resources are, especially when under current laws, they're going to be limited for quite a while longer. 
Yeah, it's worth remembering as well, three of those four players came in when Newcastle didn't have European football uh, on the horizon as well. So it is worth remembering that. Uh, and agreed, it is an annoying narrative, uh, even if it is uh, slightly true. Uh, we've also decided not to do which one would you sell, uh, despite a few people asking, as it's a bit of a pointless exercise. Chris has, however, worked out how much each is worth. Uh, read that on The Athletic. And there was plenty of passive-aggressive responses to that as well, wasn't there, Chris? There's a slight misrepresentation there. I didn't work out how much each of them were worth. I've received all the flack for the figures, but I did not actually work <laughs> them out. All your work, Chris. It's all your fault. It's all my work, yeah. There was a period where I thought I was going to... I was basically asked to do this piece because it's clear Newcastle are going to have to sell somebody at some stage, although and maybe there is this game of, of huge 4D chess, but let's take Darren Eels at his word, let's take Dan Ashworth at his word, let's take Eddie Howe at his word, all three on the record at various different points in Newcastle at some point will have to trade, as all clubs do, as Manchester City do, as Liverpool do, as all clubs do, and if they do, who are they going to sell? Howe suggested last week he didn't want to lose his quote star and uh, quote-unquote star players. He also suggested he didn't want to lose academy players. Well, he has to sell somebody, so the point was to go through the squad and see what actual value is there. So 21st Group, who do this as a consultancy for professional clubs, they have consulted with Newcastle before to try and show what a market would be, which clubs they could potentially be looking to sell players to, valued the squad. The squad value is more than £700 million. Alexander Isak is the most valuable member of the squad. Now, I had I raised my eyebrows at quite a few of the... Uh, the valuations within it because Sandro Tonali somehow his valuation has gone up despite being currently banned for 10 months and also having an FA investigation yeah. uh, hanging over him. Lewis Miley being worth more than Anthony Gordon and Joe Linton's an interesting yeah. one as well isn't it? Anthony Gordon being worth less than Newcastle paid for him Lewis Hall being worth 4.5 million and a championship club potentially being where the destination they would see for him which says a lot about that deal and, and not in a positive sense but it was an attempt to try and at least apply some sort of logic to the, and, and some sort of insider knowledge to valuations within the market. There was one stage where I was going to have to come up with valuations myself, which, believe me, would have been worse because I have absolutely no idea. But as much as we can question some of those other figures, I think it was interesting to see the value that there is or isn't within the squad. The fact that Nick Pope is worth the best part of 19 million, whereas Martin Dubravka is worth 0.9 million. That's partly to do with the length of contract remaining, but it also shows maybe the, the drop off that you get in terms of all round performance from one to the other. And that was the attempt at this exercise to see is there value? Can Newcastle actually try and get some money in for their PSR figure? And yeah, instead, all it did was just annoy everyone. So, yes, apologies. Fair play. Right then, let's move on very quickly because we're running out of time. Uh, last few bits here. Ed says, uh, do we know what's going on with the English FA's investigation into Sandro Tonali's gambling breaches? Should fans be worried that the August comeback date might be pushed back yet? Do we know anything about that, Jacob? So I checked in with the FA relatively recently. They have no substantial update on any of this. They're generally very coy, keep all of this close to their chest and then update it. It's a really small circle. It's basically an FA lawyer a player and a player's lawyer. So no concrete update on that, but there's no reason to necessarily be concerned just because you haven't heard anything. Okay, no worries. Uh, Dan, as well, on Twitter, uh, with seeing awesome food being served up at Hull City, shown on at Footy Scran, what hopes are there that the food at St James's Park might get better? Chris, are we hoping for some local sausage? Definitely, that's what I very much like. Yeah, that. Oh, I know a lot of people talk about why don't they add Greg's inside St. James's Park. I mean, they're looking at all of these different things going forward in that in that fan survey, which, again, annoyed a lot of people a few weeks ago. I think there was 
sushi was one of the options, wasn't it? What sort of food would you like inside St James's Park? So there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, things going on at the moment. Newcastle are looking to improve the experience going forward, and so I do expect to see at least some of the food changing in a medium to long term basis. Yes, I do quite like this. It sounds like how it would be if Chris was actually appointed to Darren Eels's position and attempts to grow the commercial revenue of Newcastle using only the power of a sausage <laughs> That's, rather than trading players. What more, what more do you need? Why trade Botman when you can have bangers? Yeah, that's from the Athletics food correspondent there, football food correspondent Chris Woff, as he's uh, going to be from now on. Uh, right then, so I think it's fair to say patience is the key in the long term then. But in the more immediate future, chaps, Newcastle's women have a huge game this weekend and having lost their crazy unbeaten record at Manchester United, they welcome Nottingham Forest to Kingston Park, arguably their biggest title rivals. This is the point when George would have told us about all the cool stuff he's been up to with the women's team, but he's so busy with that that he uh, he hasn't turned up to do the podcast, Chris. It's absolutely disgusting behaviour, isn't it, from a senior writer? It is, but, I mean, should we expect anything less of George? But, uh, no, he is actually currently at... Uh, he's it's been spent for the last few days along at Kingston Park and also at Bullockstead, just, just along from there. Um, shadowing uh, the women's side ahead of the match this weekend he's going to be at the game to do a special piece and then we will also have some uh, audio from that on the, on the podcast next week so I'm very much looking forward to that particularly if it doesn't feature George himself and I just actually get to hear about the women's side instead Fabulous stuff. Uh, right, the women's team do have some transfer news. 20-year-old Northern Ireland international goalkeeper Lily Woods has signed. Uh, wondering if that will feature in George's little audio adventure. Uh, find out about that on Monday. Uh, thanks again for all your questions uh, on this week's podcast. It's been a bumper edition. Thank you for Jacob for stepping in at the last minute. Cheers for that, Jacob. Enjoyed this. Livened up my afternoon. Always happy to step into the breach at late notice, especially when it makes George look bad. absolutely and thank you again to Mr Chris Wolf thanks for your time you're very welcome I just wanted to give a shout out to a few people who replied to the Javier Manquillo story earlier by saying that um, I mean because I mean he hasn't played yet this this season he isn't it looks like he isn't going to play for Newcastle United again but a lot of people want to give credit to Javier Manquillo for the very important moment that he went on that Maisie run at Leeds United away Absolutely. in uh, January 2022 that won, won the free kick from which John Joe Shelby scored the goal for which uh, Eddie Howe credits the turnaround in Newcastle United season and the way that they were able to survive and then progress from that stage on. So yes, Javier Manquillo's small but very significant role in Newcastle United's revival. Yes, we wish him all the best. Uh, right then, that's it. You can get in touch anytime you like at Pod on the Tine on Twitter or X and email us at Pod on the Tine at theathletic.com. That's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Take care. Have a good weekend. And we'll speak to you again on Monday from everybody at Pod on the Tine. Goodbye. away by Manquillo who then blocks oh, Roberts pass twice he challenges Roberts and wins it for Longstaff and then rolls it over halfway for Manquillo to run onto he's the most advanced player Javier Manquillo Willock through the middle Manquillo pulled down as he got away at the edge of the area and there it is going to be a yellow card for Diego Llorente what a run from Manquillo the whistle has gone it's going to be John Joe Shelby with the free kick oh! Shelby in off Melly